Listen, before we do anything else, can we just give God just one more hand praise? <laughs> Listen, God is so awesome. God is so good. You see me jumping around here every Sunday, but that's just because God has been faithful to me. And I know that God has been faithful to each and every one of you. Can I get a witness out there this morning? Before I even get started, I first want to give praises to an almighty God who lives on the inside of me. But I also want to give honor to my pastor who's in his absence, Pastor Noe, Dr. Noe Garcia and his wife Clancy. Can we give it up for our pastor this morning? Oh, man. God is so, so, so good. I am honored to even be in this position to speak before you this morning, even with the bubble guts and everything. <laughs> Sitting here like... <laughs> but I'm excited and I'm honored to be here, and I don't take this honor lightly. Uh, pastor could have chose anyone else, and Pastor chose me to bring the word this morning. And so I'm super and excited to uh, bring that word this morning. I get an opportunity to continue in the Freedom Series. Somebody yell out Freedom. I get the extreme honor and privilege to continue in teaching God's word today, and we're going to be talking about freedom. But specifically, as I was praying to God and preparing this message, I realized that if we're going to continue to talk about freedom and declare the promise of God over our entire lives, through his word, that is, we must first begin and call out those things that have us and address us, address those things that have us in bondage. You see, I realized that walking this Christian walk to the best of my ability, that you can't truly be free if you're in bondage. Amen. You see, contrary to how the word freedom is used in America and, and, and the many different ways that's been formed and the many different ways that it's been even been said or addressed, I, I love that freedom really is not just a place of location. Freedom really is a state of the mind. And I realize more than anything that there's a quote that I go by that I love. It says that freedom in any case is only possible by constantly struggling for it. So if we be honest with ourselves this morning, strictly this morning, think about this. I want everybody to put on their thinking caps this morning, just for a few seconds if you can. What keeps you up at night? Is it bondage of insecurity or, or, or bondage of negativity? Is it bondage of negative thoughts? Is it bondage of the inability to see ahead? What, what is it that's keeping you up at night? Is it even the bondage to the inability to see the future because some of us get to a place where we're asking God, God, why am I here in this present state when I keep asking you to take me further, but God is telling you to be patient and stay right here? Is it bondage of past regrets? Is it bondage of bad mistakes? I want us to think for, for just a moment. Is it things that have happened in your past? What is it that's holding you captive? Now, some of you are in here, I'm probably sure, and you're probably thinking, Kristen, there's absolutely nothing that's holding me in bondage. I'm free. I've been free. I will always be free. There is nothing that keeps me up at night. Honestly, I get the best sleep that I've ever gotten just last night. <laughs> but as I was thinking about this and, and, and thinking about how I can really interpret this word, I, I start realizing that even if you are free, what do you do when you're free, but yet you operate as though you're still bound? What do you do when you come to church looking to be set free from an addiction or, or, or low self-esteem or, or set, free from a, set free from a stronghold or even just coming to church because you realize this is the last place that I can come to. I don't have any other choice. I got to get to the house of the Lord. Yet you leave the same way you came. What do you do? Or for that individual that's in this room right now, what do you do when you're in a new season of your life? And just like the children of Israel, when they left Egypt specifically, they crossed over the Red Sea, right? And they were officially free in the wilderness, yet they did not know what to do. So they complained to God. They do what we do sometimes, right? How we complain to God and we're like, God, why am I here? As I was just saying, 
But because where we presently are is uncomfortable, and although we're free, we'd rather be comfortable in bondage than free in our uncomfortability. I believe Paul addresses that in this text this morning, and I want to get really deep into this word this morning. Can we please stand for the honor to honor God's word this morning? We're going to be back in Romans, Romans chapter 7 to be exact. And, and to be honest, I was reading and studying this text, and I realized, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Pastor Jared, who preached an awesome word last week. An incredible word. As I was reading chapter 7, I realized that I want to piggyback just the last two verses of chapter 6 that will help go into chapter 7. So if you got your Romans book, I would love for you to pull it out. If you got your Bible, I'd love for you to pull that out. If you got your phone, pull that out. If you have absolutely nothing, we have the screen. <laughs> Romans chapter 6, verses 22, 20, 23. If you have it, say amen. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and it ends eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Chapter 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you all have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which has held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I want to read verse 3 just one more time. Verse 2, actually. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Our series this morning is freedom, but I'd like to take the sermon topic, the wedding. Please bow your heads. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm asking right now, Lord Jesus, that you would come into this place. You Actually, you're already here, oh God. So I'm just asking, Lord God, that you would guide me the words that you want, God. I'm asking that I would just completely disappear so the only thing that the people see up here is you. God, let me decrease that you may increase in this room, God. And God, let my words be acceptable to you, oh God, this morning. God, we love you, we honor you, we praise you. And it's in your precious son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the way to your seats, I want you to call out to me. Say, the wedding. The wedding. Some of you came today. I just heard a brother say, hey, man, I'm getting married today. Yes, you are. (laughs) Since the beginning of time, even before Adam, there has always been a constant battle for control. In certain situations, it was individuals looking for control like Lucifer. Lucifer, the angel that we all know of, now known as Satan, kicked out of heaven with a third of the angels because he wanted control. Or, Or Eve... We all remember Eve in Genesis, who was persuaded in Genesis to eat of the fruit that God specifically said not to eat at all, all just to see if she'd become like God in her eyes. She wanted control. 
Even Moses, deemed one of the greatest prophets who has ever lived, missed his opportunity to enter the promised land because of anger towards a group that he was chose to lead, by the way, but he wanted to control an altercation that happened between the both of them, between both people, and he unconsciously hit the rock God said to speak to and subsequently missed his opportunity to go to the promised land, all for control. All throughout Scripture, there's a constant battle for control. So as we enter into the New Testament, Jesus has now risen from the dead and ascending up to heaven, we begin an immediate shift into the New Testament, especially the new church, the first church that is, and how this battle for control would still continue. One thing we got to know that I would love to, 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 to read about really quick, one thing we must know is about Rome. One thing we have to understand, Rome was the most important city of this time. Not even in the time, it was the most important city in the world at this time. And one of the priorities of the Roman Empire, perhaps the main priority, was peace, which it accomplished. You know, as I was studying this specific text and I was thinking about Rome in this context, I got an opportunity to travel just this past year, this last November. I traveled to Dubai. And I was thinking about how Dubai and Rome, they really mirror each other a lot in the emphasis of uh, it was a concert. I'll I'll go through the story. There was a concert that I was invited to do. I, I sing with a worship group called Israel Houghton and Newbreed. And the thing that I loved about this concert, the thing I loved about the atmosphere there was the Christians were hungry. It was a beautiful, progressive, thriving city. I mean, it was Dubai. It was pretty nice. (laughs) But even in the midst of all of this good things that were happening, the concert actually almost didn't happen. The concert was canceled twice in one year. January was canceled, got moved to May. May, it was canceled as well. Not only that, I just mentioned the group that I sing for is called Israel. Israel's name wasn't even allowed to be mentioned in any of the programs and any of the billboards. It had gotten so bad that we were told specifically if we were to post anything about this concert, if we were to even mention anything about Israel's names, we would get in trouble and get our phones confiscated and a bunch of other stuff. And I don't know about any of you, but I don't want to get stuck in Dubai. I've been stuck in Mexico once. I'm not getting stuck in Dubai. Some of you know the story, some of you don't. I'm going to leave that for another day. So anyway, (laughs) we were restricted to post anything, but the reason why this was going on is because of this. You see, Dubai is is an Islamic nation, and although the Constitution of the United Arab Emirates provides freedom of religion in accordance with the established customs, the government generally does respect these rights. However, there are still restrictions the reason why they had such a big problem is because anytime there's a big Christian movement, there always is going to be something that tries to control that movement. I mean, when you even think about the Christian movement that's happening now in Phoenix, Arizona, the things that God has been doing at this church for the last 30 to 40 to 50 years, there's always something, even in your personal lives, anytime God has a movement happening in your personal walk, there's always the enemy who's going to try to detour that walk or he's going to try to infiltrate that walk. Amen? But it's always been a battle for control. The government stepped in on this concert. The same thing is happening right now in Rome. Specifically, an amazing Christian movement was happening in Rome. But something important I must first mention, and we must know, is that the writer of this book, his name is Paul. Everybody say Paul. The thing that was interesting to me about this text was Paul had actually never even been to Rome yet. Now, Paul wrote most of the letters to the churches that he himself had visited and established. Scholars believe that the Apostle Paul started close to 20 churches himself. 
But the church at Rome was different because there was already many Christians who had already been there long before Paul had even arrived. This is important to know because Paul knew what to expect with the other churches that he went to. He established them. But this one was a little different because he established them, the other churches, but he didn't establish this one. His DNA was on those churches, but his DNA was not on this one. He didn't start this. So Paul was strictly going by what he had heard. We get that scripture in Romans chapter 1 verse 8 when it mentions that the news of the faith, their faith in Rome specifically, has reached abroad everywhere. So he was excited to get there. Now, for anyone that's new today specifically to our Roman series, and if you're new just in general to our Freedom series, and if you're even new just period, this is your first time in the church, let's break this down a little bit about Paul. Paul, we as know, his name was Saul in Acts, right? Now, Saul was the one that did what? He beat. He not only beat, he imprisoned. He not only did that, he had Christians murdered, put to death, and he was met to Jesus. He was met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. You're probably wondering, Kristen, what does that have to do with anything about this series? I want to explain this really quick. I mentioned that because there's nothing that you can do so far out that God still can't get glory from your life. And I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but Paul being a murderer, Paul being this, Paul being that, Paul being that, had an encounter with Jesus Christ and his whole life detoured. And I'm praying for somebody specifically in this room today that you have an encounter that will stop you from what you're doing, that will get you into the right direction and lead you to glory. Amen? This Paul wrote this letter. Romans, without even visiting. Now, something that's important that I would love if you're writing notes to write this down. I just, I just told you he has not visited Rome yet. So it was important for him to write this because Paul wrote this letter to prepare them for his visit. Number two, to give a clear explanation of the gospel. Number three, to give the truth about the Christian faith to any Christians in Rome who had false ideas about it. Number four, to give practical advice about how Christians should behave towards each other. And last one, my favorite one, this is really important with the text. To unite Jewish and Gentile Christians, because in many churches, there had been serious arguments between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians said that God had given his law in the Bible, so they told the Gentile Christians to obey it. But the Gentile Christians said that God had given them freedom, So they did not want to obey any Jewish rules or traditions. So now we're here in the text that we just read, chapter 7, where Paul has a very important message for the Christians in Rome and for us today. Paul specifically wanted us to know that there is freedom from the law. I want you to say that to me. There is freedom from the law. Now, I hope you still have your Bible open because I want to read this just one more time. It's, it's chapter, one, chapter 7, verse 1 and 4, but I want to change the version. I want to read it in the, um, I want to read it in the Amplified version. I believe it's on this screen, right? I'll just play it. <laughs> Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction to rule over a person as long as he lives. Four, therefore, my fellow believers, you too died to the law through the crucified body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. I want to park there just for a second in verse one through four, because one thing we must understand, one thing we must know about this law, and contrary to what so many of the Jews who believed that Jesus, when Jesus came, they believed 
that he came for one thing, as we all know in studying the scriptures. But I want to fulfill, I want to share this with us. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. And in turn, he gave us freedom from the law. If you're writing down, I want you to write that down. Jesus did not come to abolish. He came to fulfill. And in fulfilling that law, he then gave us freedom from the law. Now I want to read verse 5 and 6. When we were living in the flesh, trapped by sin, the sinful passions which were awakened by that which the law identifies as sin were at work. In our body to bear fruit for death, since the willingness to to sin led to death and separation from God. Sorry, I got to park there. I always wonder when I'm sitting down why preachers take time to do this. Man, it's it's your boy. Your breath loses your breath up here, man. Jeez. There's been a couple times I'm sitting here like... So, y'all got to forgive me, okay? You're going to hear everything today. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that out loud. See, I, the, the worship team in the choir know I'm one that if I think something, I, I say it, and I probably shouldn't say it all the time. So y'all just pray for me, all right? Where are my prayer words at? Y'all just cover me in prayer today. Verse 5. I'm going to read that just one more time, okay? When we were living in the flesh, trapped by sin, the sinful passage which were awakened by that which the law identifies as sin were at work in our body to bear fruit for death, since the willingness to sin led to death and separation from God. Six, but now we have been released from the law and its penalty having died through Christ to that by which we are held captive, so that we serve God in the newness of the Spirit and, do not, and not in the oldness of the letter of the law. What is this saying? This is really important. This text is saying before we say yes to Christ, sin controls our lives completely. And although sometimes we may walk around with a puffed up chest and, and, and think that we're free from things, the, the reality is there are still strongholds that keep us in bondage from fully walking in freedom. And the Jews wanted the law to free them from sin, but the law wasn't able to achieve this. You see, in other words, our best efforts to obey the law could not free us from sin. Instead, what the law did was declared that we were guilty, and it declared that there was punishment to our sin, which led to death. But because of God's grace, he sent Jesus to die for every single one of us in this specific room, because I believe everyone in here is meant to be here today. Jesus died for every single one of us, and now, by baptism, we take part in the death of Christ. So like the woman whose husband died, specifically in the verse that we read before, the Scripture shows that no longer is she bound to the law by marriage. No longer is she bound to the law by marriage. So now we are also free from the law. Man, I just love this book so much. Not only is she bound by law, sin controlled us, but once I get dipped into the water, sin no longer has control over me. Specifically right here in this point of the message, I'm looking for witness of one or two or three that can boldly say that died not only died for me, but I'm going to die for him as well. So I'm not going to let any more sin hold me. I'm not going to let any more insecurities hold me. I'm not going to let my doubt control me. I'm not going to let anything control my thoughts because the person that I have living on the inside should cloud and beat all of that stuff out. I want somebody to say this really quick. No more. No more. But even after hearing that good news in that part and declaring no more in this atmosphere right now, I still can't help but to ask a specific question. Why is it so hard to let go? Why is it hard to let go of past regrets? Why is it hard to let go of draining and toxic friendships? Friendships. 
Why were the Gentiles having such a hard time and the Christians of the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians having such a hard time getting along while they're serving the same Jesus, fighting for the same cause? Why do we have a struggle where, where, where one is right, um, um, one is wrong? Um, um, I'm thinking about uh, 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 the White House is right. I'm thinking about Christianity. Uh, there's so many things where I'm on this side, I'm on this side, I'm on this side, and on this side. And what winds up happening is we're trying to fight for the same cause, yet I'm still fighting with my brother and my sister. If I can go even a little deeper this morning and ask a different question behind the same context, why is it so hard for Christians not to judge Christians in the church? Why is it so hard not to be divisive? Why, why is it hard to truly show love to one another? Why is it so hard to let control go? Why was it so hard for those in this text to let their control go? i tell you why, and I want you to write this down. Because people have blindly made a covenant with religion but have forsaken relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to write that down. People have blindly made a covenant with religion and have forsaken a relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, instead of being a bridge or being a passageway to Jesus, what winds up happening now is Christians are just in the way to Jesus. It doesn't matter where I go. God can open doors for me to travel all over the world, but I still amazes me how many times I see so many lip-serving Jesus followers. You, you know what I'm saying? So many lip-serving Jesus followers on the stage, on the platform, whether you're in a high position, where you're in a low position, so many lip-serving Jesus followers. And out of all of those lip-serving Jesus followers, I never actually see Jesus's characteristics in any of them. I want you to ask yourself today, what covenant have you made? This is for me too. What covenant have you made and who have you made your covenant with? Covenant, that, that, that word covenant, it, it, it's really, really a, a strong text, um, strong word in the text how Paul used that. It, it, to me, it's actually even more interesting to me that Paul would use marriage as an example when first introducing this text. You see, there's power in a covenant. Covenant not only means an agreement, it means to pledge an alliance between two parties, one person and another person. I, I want to use an example here. Who's all been to a wedding? I'm pretty sure all of us have been to a wedding, right? You can raise your hand. Hey, who's been to a wedding? At a wedding, you see a covenant, correct? You see a covenant between two parties, two individuals. It's probably, to me, the most beautiful part of a ceremony, specifically when this happens. Well, listen here. You've been to a wedding, right? The groom is walking up. Okay, Cardo, that's it. <laughs> Specifically, oh, y'all wanted to dance, didn't you? <laughs> see, I was only going to give you a taste to see. And some of y'all saw some of you rocking. I saw some of you doing. That's, that's all right. That's all right. Something specific happens at a wedding that I love. It's the covenant between two parties. They say something that's very important that I personally love. It's, I'll use this as an example. I. Kristen Moore, take there, Kelsey, to be my lawfully wedded wife. I did that two years ago, by the way. That's my wife. <laughs> to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer and for, in sickness and in, to love and to, 
from this day forth until death do us, I do. I joke around because I'm just a joking kind of guy. But I joke around, but a covenant is actually something very serious. You see, I recently had a, a conversation with, a, with an individual who was explaining to me, Kristen, I, I'm just not ready to settle down. And I talked to him and I told him, you know, you believe it or not, there, there is nothing wrong with settling down. It, it's okay to want to be in a relationship. It's okay to want to get married. You don't have to always live the single life, brother. Now, I'm not talking to any single people out here. This was what I was telling this individual because he was doing some other. All right, anyway. I said, settle down. Settle down there, sir. But you see, believe it or not, there are many bachelors who, who actually view the sanctity of covenant or marriage as a loss of freedom. There are some who are even married that statistics show that are not happy because they feel that their freedom has been stripped away. But I came to really encourage someone today to really tell you, if you're living in the single life or even if you're married, that marriage isn't bondage. Marriage actually is freedom. And one thing that I've learned about this text and thinking about the wedding and thinking about this covenant is Jesus wants to make a long-lasting covenant with some of you today. But the problem is, I got to just be honest, some of us want to control our lives so much. We don't want Jesus to come in all the way. We want to be able to just say, you know what, Jesus, thank you, but only oversee this part of my life. But this half, I got it. Some of us want that control so much, and, and, and we want the, the freedom that the world has to offer, but I must plead with some of you today, that's not freedom that the world is offering. You see, I, I get it. Living a Christian life is hard. So many of us here say that. Some of, so many of us hear that. But I got to ask a question to this notion. When has anything ever in your entire life that wasn't important been easy? It, it really bothers me sometimes because, you know, you, some of us want something so easy. I, I'll just be honest. I've been trying to, well, some of you are going to laugh, but whatever. I've been trying to lose weight here and there, you know, in those forbidden areas. I'll say that. And I'm working out, and I'm working out, and I'm working out, and it doesn't seem to work. Do you want to know why it doesn't work? Because every time I try to eat healthy, it seems there always is a fast food deal. (laughs) Wendy's, five for five. Popeye's, five for five. McDonald's. $5 bundle. And every time I'm just looking for like a salad and go, there's a jack in the box that says, hey man, if you get the 10 nugget for $2, you can add a burger plus a fry plus a shake for only $4.95. I've gotten to the point where I'm just over it. I'm just like, you know what? Maybe I'll run in the FLC. That's an FLC plug, by the way. Go get your running on. It seems like the most healthy food is the most expensive food. And it's harder accessible, especially when you're hungry. But listen, in a spiritual sense, just like the world and Christianity specifically, I know there's deals everywhere on the outside. And I know it's calling you. I know it's saying, come on, come on. It's easier this way. Just come this way. But I got to tell you this morning that it's only going to satisfy your hunger just for a little while. And what winds up happening, if you're anything like me, that is, you realize after that we wind up ending up in the same spot before we even left, because before we got there, we wind up, I say it like this, this is usually how I say it, what winds up happening is we wind up getting full, but we're still hungry. And there has been so many times in my life specifically when I got full on the wrong things because I hungered the wrong things. 
But in the inside, like I told us before, what lives on the inside in us is craving the right things. So how many times, if I can just ask this question this morning, how long are you going to go on, continue to eat the wrong things when the inside is saying, please give me something to eat? How long are we going to continue to, 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 to get to a place where, where we're killing ourselves on the inside spiritually because all of the fame that we're getting, all of the accolades that we're getting, all of the awards that we're getting, all of the cars that we're getting, all of the houses that we're getting, all the raises that we're getting are not doing anything for the spiritual man, but it's only doing something for the outside man. Covenant. Covenant. I made a covenant September 16, 2017 when I married the most beautiful woman in my world, Miss Kelsey. We've been together now for eight years and have been married one year and nine months. If I can be completely honest with you guys, my first year of marriage was extremely hard. Not because I didn't love her, not because I didn't want her, not because I didn't, I didn't really agree to this fully and I was just doing it just for the heck of it, no. I really did love Kelsey. I still love her. I'm going to always love her. That was in my vows, and I still cherish that to this day, my covenant. Amen, Amen brother. <laughs> right on. <laughs> but the real reason why I struggled so much was because I felt I wasn't good enough at times. I never handled a bank account for two people. I never even lived away from home until I moved to Phoenix. And I'm learning how to balance a full-time job, a full-time ministry of work, still while trying to balance a home life. And the thing that I love so much about Kelsey and being so gracious and, and, and being so loving and being so forgiving is she would clean, she would cook, she would do so much that when I got home, it'd be a load off for me. Unfortunately, two things happened to me in the midst of that, in this newness for me, I'd say. I'd give so much to everyone else, pouring out in ministry, pouring out advice, pouring out time, pouring out anything, pouring even out my mind. I'm sure some of you can attest for this who pour out constantly at work, pour out constantly to family members, pour out constantly to this and this and that. So when I got home, I'd be empty, and unfortunately, Kelsey would get all my leftovers. And then what made it even worse is those little things that she would do for me, I began to take those little things for granted. And although I was only working, I was the only one working in the house at the time. So I would continue to do things for her. I would continue to buy her this. I would continue to buy her that. I would continue to think that I'm doing the right thing because I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of everything. And what wind up going wrong and where I felt her is in my mind and looking that I was doing all this providing and taking care of the bills and doing all this stuff, I started thinking that I was doing this out of love. And unfortunately, what happened was I started treating her as if though she was a burden and not my priority. I believe there are two types of people in this room. Those that are probably in a relationship naturally, but you're spiritually single. And you know you've heard the Holy Spirit constantly try to propose to you. This is the wedding, right? He's constantly been looking for you. He's constantly been seeking you out. He's been constantly asking you to come to me, yet you don't want to commit. You don't want to say yes all the way. You want to halfway go, but you don't want to all the way go. The Holy Spirit has constantly said, I love you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. Still, you're having a hard time to say yes. And the other type of the person is the, in this room. You were sort of like me and how I mentioned what I did with Kelsey. You already committed in a relationship. 
Everything was going good. You loved your spouse. You loved God. All things are going well. You said your vows. You accepted those vows as him as your savior in your life. But in the midst of seasons coming and going, and just in life in general, you've forgotten about your first love. You forgot about the commitment that you made in the vow from the very beginning when you told Jesus, I do, from the very beginning. You've gotten so busy with everything else that the moment it's time for you to spend time with him, he's receiving not all of you, but he's receiving your leftovers. And now Christ has become a burden and not a priority. This message is entitled The Wedding for a Reason because it's time for some of us today, including myself, to say I do wholeheartedly. And for some of us, it's even time for us to renew that vow. So for a quick moment, I'd like everybody to bow your heads. Worship team, please come up. I'm going to pass this off to Pastor Perry in a little bit. But for one moment, I want to open up the doors of the church. Whether that be by you accepting that vow or whether that be by you coming saying, God, I'm sorry, I got to renew this vow. But truth be told is all of us are burdened. All of us go through issues. All of us go through problems. All of us want to do the right thing. But unfortunately, in the midst of life, instead of doing the right thing, we wind up doing the wrong things. Can I get an amen in this, in this church this morning? So really quick, I want you to raise your hand this morning if you know for sure that out of the two people that I mentioned, you've either neglected, you've forgotten, You've pushed him aside where he's not number one priority in your life anymore. He's number seven. I want you to raise your hand this morning and be completely honest with yourself. Nobody's looking at you. Be honest. See, that's the thing about freedom. Freedom happens when you be honest with yourself and you begin to let those things go. Those that just raised their hands, I want you to raise your hand again in this room if you have not fully committed to Jesus Christ as your Savior and you know he's been calling on you. Even if you have committed, you know he's calling you to go deeper in your relationship and even then, you still won't go. Raise your hand. I'm going to tell you now, this isn't a place of judgment. You came to the right place. That's why I said God intended for you to be here this morning while we're still bowing and closing our eyes. In a moment, Pastor Perry is going to come up. We're going to have ministers lined all in the front. I'm going to be down there with them. And what we're going to do is something a little different today. If you need prayer, go talk with the pastor. If you want to accept Jesus, go talk to one of the pastors. But if you know for sure that you've been in a place, in a place of neglect and you've not made God that number one priority and you went back on those vows, then I'm even going to call you forward to take this altar, storm this altar, not even take, storm this altar and renew that vow today. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now thanking you for this word. God, one thing that I've learned that even studying the word, sometimes it can be even tough for me because I realize that I've, I've become victim to, any, to everything that I preach today. I realize that I've pushed you out the way and I haven't had you as my number one priority in my life. But, oh, God, even now in this moment, I'm praying and I'm asking you, God, for every single individual in this room that they would break those chains loose today. God, anybody that's sitting in their seat that wants to give their life to Jesus Christ, anybody that wants to rededicate their lives, Jesus, break those chains right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Don't let anybody leave today without being changed. Don't let anybody leave today without being transformed. Don't let anybody today leave with arrogance thinking that they are and are really not. 
God, I'm asking that you would even in this moment do something deep on the inside, not even just for the audience, God, for every single individual that's in this room, whether that's working cameraman, whether that's working soundman, whether that's working musicians, whether that's worship team on the stage, whether that be any pastor, God, make us all vulnerable, even in this moment right now. Expose us to ourselves so that we can see you clearly. God, it's in your mighty son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.